Welcome to both Success and Integrity with Bessie Graham, a podcast dedicated to established business leaders like you, ready to bring more meaning into your life in a way that strengthens rather than threatens the financial stability of your business. I'm your host, Bessie Graham. I've worked with business owners, governments, and large funding bodies like the United Nations for over 20 years to bring doing good and making money back together. So let's unpack why you don't have to choose between experiencing success or having integrity in your life. Dr. Avis, thank you so much. I'm really glad to have you joining us on the podcast as someone who is a great example, in my opinion, of a business owner who has decided not to fall into the trap of thinking you've got to pick one or the other. Are you doing good or making money? (laughs) So That's right. Yeah, really keen to hear some of your thinking around that and, and how that's playing out in your business um, as we we chat today. So I think to kick us off, there is this sense of so many different ways that we can start to think about good as being something inside our business. And in your business, when I look at it, the kind of category, if you like, that I think it fits in is taking that customer focus. So it's saying, how do I give the most extraordinary results or transformation to a customer that has this beautiful flow-on effect and do that in a way that creates a win-win? So I'm keen for you to tell us a little bit about what that journey has been like for you and and how that is playing out for you in your business. Absolutely. And I'm so honored to be on your show. Thanks for inviting me. Um, you know, I am definitely one of your uh, biggest fans around this concept of uh, making money, but doing good at the same time. And with regards to how my business does it via my customers, I'm so energized by what I do. Because when I look at the, the lay of the land around me, I know that statistically speaking in America, for example, um, Black women are the number one demographic uh, in this nation to start businesses. We're more likely than any other demographic group in America to start a business, uh, which is exciting, right? However, when you look at the data around how those businesses fare, okay, uh, the typical Black woman-owned business only makes about $24,000 a year in this nation, which is atrocious, right? And, um, you know, when I'm faced with that dual reality, uh, what I see is that a lot of these women have started their businesses because they've found that they're not being treated fairly in the workplace and they want to have more ability to have better um, compensation for their genius. Yet, when they start their own businesses, something is holding them back from really being able to maximize that opportunity. And so what I love about what I do is I help these women really be able to see their own value, something that they have not really ever experienced before. Just think about it. If you spent a lifetime being underpaid, you don't even know what your value is, right? <laughs> uh, and then helping them translate their uh, skill in whatever their expertise is into an actual profitable and high revenue generating business. To me, it is something that I absolutely love because I am seeing the genius that these women have being properly compensated and at levels that will hope ultimately and hopefully be able to produce for them a level of intergenerational wealth that they had never seen before. And so that to me is is my way of doing good in the world. And what was it that brought you to a position where you said, okay, this is the issue I care about and want to have some impact in, but you chose to do it through the commercial aspect of a business? Because I think the challenge I see so often is that when we identify these things and then say, my skill set matches something that could contribute in that area. So often we then fall into the trap of going, because that's about contribution or doing good, we should set up a nonprofit or we need to be classified in some kind of social category rather than going down a commercial path. 
Can you tell us a little bit about, because I know you actually have had exposure and experience in that space, what was the deciding factor to, to make that transition? Well, it's because I've been there and I've done that and I've experienced the limitations of it. Let's just say that. Okay. I spent the bulk of my career before I started my business in the nonprofit space, uh, specifically in sort of the policy advocacy space, um, being one of those sort of wonky people behind the scenes that develops uh, research and writes reports and um, provides um, briefings on Capitol Hill for uh, legislators or staffers to help them to be able to write laws that would hopefully make the situation better. It's one of the reasons why, you know, I went into the field that I went into in terms of my um, degrees and my pre-business career. I was thinking that the best way to impact the world, or at least the largest number of people, was to change laws, impact it via policies that would lead to better actions with people on the ground. Um, but what I found after spending many years in that space and specifically being the person tasked with running that data and seeing those statistics over and over again and seeing year after year after year, very little, if any change, no matter what laws were being, <laughs> were being pushed through, uh, it became very frustrating to me. And so I, I sort of changed my focus. And I, I have to say, I could not be happier with this change because as I continue to look at the data, for example, and I'm sorry about, I'm going to apologize in advance for being a bit of a nerd. But as I continue to look at the data. Never apologize for that. Never. <laughs> <laughs> I can be full nerd here. Okay, that's great. Um, so what I see now, though, is there's been some more recent research that shows, particularly for the Black community in America, for example, uh, that the biggest, um, the thing that the, the specific piece of data that moves the needle the most with regards to closing the racial wealth gap in this country is not educational attainment, which is what we oftentimes think it's really entrepreneurship. Like if uh, black people who own businesses are three times, have three times more uh, wealth, for example, than those who don't. And so um, for me, you know, it really shows the, me that my shift in focus from uh, hoping to create laws that would help people be treated more fairly in the workplace, reduce the wage gap, those types of things. After years of sort of having a bloody forehead in terms of hitting my head on the wall around that, uh, I am really seeing traction when it comes to really helping women be able to write their own checks via their own businesses. And I, you know, it was a, it was, it took me many years to to come to this conclusion. But now that I'm here, I'm definitely glad that I'm here, and I want to make the biggest impact possible. Yeah, and I think there's also a lot of what you've just spoken about. There's this issue of we can have these amazing ideas in an academic setting, you know, disconnected from how it plays out on the ground. But if we don't have real-world examples to look at and go, oh, it is possible, oh, this is how that person did it, it's very difficult for the vast majority of people to conceptualise something that they can't see yet. And so I think mm -hmm. there's also an element of in you shifting out of that policy, academic, uh, non-profit type space into actually living and breathing what it looks like to be a business owner that is successful, that is pushing those boundaries, is actually a really important first step to create that wave that that you're wanting to see happen in the world. And I loved that you recently were very public about your desire in terms of that purpose for you and the vision of creating a million black women millionaires. Mm -hmm. How have people responded to that when you've now been public? It's been wild. It's been such great reaction. You know, it's one of those things, and I think many of us can probably relate to this. Sometimes you have a vision that's so big uh, it seems almost so da daunting that you are, you self-edit, like you really don't really share it because you think that people are going to think you're crazy. <laughs> like, come on, sis. Okay. That's a little ridiculous, you know? So that was the kind of like the reaction <laughs> I was expecting. But um, what I found is that people were inspired by it. People were excited about it. People really are rallying around this idea. And it shows me that, you know, Oftentimes, when we have this yearning inside of us, uh, it's the, honestly, it's what I've always preached for many years, but sometimes it's hardest to take your own medicine, right? 
that vision that you have inside you was specifically meant for you. And it, it is your responsibility to share it with the world. Even if you think, oh my God, by doing this, they gonna judge me, who cares? And what you will ultimately find is that there will be more people who support you, I believe, than those who have crazy things to say. Yeah, agreed. And there's, I, I'm wondering, because as you said, there'll probably be some people who will at different points be vocal critics of, of what you're yeah. doing, but we- I'm kind of used not. to that though. <laughs> I've had my critics over the years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the, how have you thought through these aspects? So if we go right back to the beginning and talk about this idea of having a customer focus. For mm -hmm. many years in marketing and different areas, people have talked about don't fall in love with the product or service, fall in love with the customer, and, and that that has this commercial benefit to it. Mm -hmm. How have you been conscious of or tuned into not wanting that to turn into a manipulative aspect that is purely about you making as much money as you can in the business, mm -hmm. but sitting with both of those components of a genuine commitment and passion around the types of results that the people you work with are getting for that good and impact through the business, but also being unapologetic about the fact that in doing that, I'm not going to reduce my prices so that I can have impact. I'm not going to um, cut corners or, or do things differently because this is about a, a social good. How are you sort of dancing with both of those things? Excellent question. Well, you know, first of all, I fully believe that if I were to cut prices, I would not be able to provide the quality of services and wraparound of support that these women need to be successful. Like you can't just can't do that on a shoestring budget, <laughs> honestly. And so, yeah, you might be able to have some sort of small thing that you can provide people with. I think what leads to a lot of the success that my clients experience is because it is such a high touch experience that they get. They get a lot of my time. They get time from my team. At certain levels, they get some of what we they need to succeed actually done for them. So it's built into their tuition so that they make sure that they, it, it, they're getting the media attention or they're getting their social media handed for them. It's, it's sort of built in. It's, so those things you know, cost us money to produce that high level of service. And so we do have to price appropriately. But what we found is that when we do that, we attract people who are highly committed to their own success. So they ultimately implement, which is better in my mind than charging someone much less for something that they never look at after they buy it. And we also get folks uh, we also give them the support that they need to actually implement and succeed. And that's how we have you know, such amazing results with people literally having their lives change, moving from, you know, businesses that are barely cutting along to having these huge, huge returns that they never would have thought possible. They end up making more in a month than they, you know, than a lot of people make uh, all year long and, and, you know, businesses or otherwise. So, you know, we have had um, tremendous success with this model. And uh, I think it's just a win-win for everyone. Lastly, just in terms of, you know, why it's so important, and I'll just quickly say in terms of how we do it, at the end of the day, um, it's driven by our company mission, which ultimately is to normalize Black abundance. You know, I believe that, um, you know, it's so important that every generation doesn't have to start from ground zero. And unfortunately, that has oftentimes been the case uh, within my community. And for us to get a get to a space where we are able to create a level of abundance so that each succeeding generation has something to start their lives off right. And they're able, able to sort of catapult up a little bit faster and a little bit easier. That's really our responsibility. And uh, once we get to a point where we can create the type of wealth in a lifetime that allows us to be able to have those intergenerational impacts, uh, that to me is very exciting. And that's really the big uh, vision and the big mission that keeps me and my team going every day because we know it's it's about more than just quote unquote this business. It's really about the reverberating ripple effects of what we do in the lives of the people that we serve. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. I'm guessing that as someone who, as you said, you know, falls into the category of being a bit of a policy wonk, a nerd, loving the data, all of those things. I'm guessing that you have some very specific 
ways that you have thought about how you will know if you're having the impact you want to have in the world. Because this whole area, I often talk to people about the fact that good intentions aren't good enough. We can make these grand statements of I'm going to impact this area or create these outcomes. Mm -hmm. But if we aren't actually clear on how do we know if we're trending in the direction, some of these big shifts are going to take a long time. So, we can't just be looking for quick wins. How are you thinking about the actual measurement and the way to get confidence of whether what you're doing is working and getting you towards that goal of a million black women millionaires. Mm -hmm. What does that look like within your business? Yeah. So it, it really looks like at the end of the day, looking at the data, like really being able to quantify uh, how many lives are we touching by what we do? What are the results of their interactions with us? That looks like not only sort of having clients per se, but literally keeping data about the progress of that, of their work and seeing, and in the interim, sort of really being very keen around making sure that we are making adjustments, data-driven adjustments all along the way to ensure that we continue to improve. We continue to give them the guidance that they need in a marketplace that's always shifting, right? That's always another challenge around the corner that at each step of the way that we are giving them the support, the guidance, the information that they need to succeed. And so um, for us, it's really just about being data-driven. And I will say one last thing, it's also um, been very inspiring to me to see the degree to which our message and our reach has reached women internationally. And, And so that's something that we're looking to this year be a lot more intentional about with regards to really focusing on how do we reach out to women across the world with this message and how can we, uh, in some capacity, be able to support uh, their uh, entrepreneurial growth? Because we know this issue of women in business ownership is a trending uh, issue, not just on these shores, but quite frankly, all over the world. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm just thinking about the components It's interesting because the other reason why I think it's so critical to actually have that data-driven approach, that commitment to tracking how is this going, what do Mm -hmm. we need to change, how do we get better results. When I think of over the last few years, more and more people have talked about wicked problems and Rattel's work in that area of these incredibly complex issues that are out there in the world. And yet, When we start to do this work to bring good back inside our business, so often people can, you know, hone in and focus on a particular issue they want to have an impact on, but not think about the importance of what they then have to take responsibility for. And one of the pieces related to wicked problems that I think most people miss is that there was an important idea that Rattel spoke about where if you are dealing with a wicked problem, engaging in this kind of complexity then you have no right to be wrong. And what that means is that when we're raising an expectation, so if we go into a community and we say, here's what my work can do for you and the transformation it's going to achieve, this is actually a really important issue. When you have people working so hard and doing all of this, um, you know, taking risks, starting a business and yet earning $24,000 and doing all these different pieces, if you are going to make a claim and take hard-earned money off those people and yet not take responsibility for the delivery of that, that's actually very dangerous territory. And Absolutely. so I, I love the seriousness that you're taking in that work. I'd love to hear, are there any stories where things haven't gone well or you've, as you've looked into that data or asked people these questions, you have had to make changes on the back of that or things that you're looking at as a company to shift and change based on feedback that actually you were not trending in the direction of of what you hope to achieve? Absolutely. So a shift that we made, I guess it's been about uh, six months ago, uh, is we found that uh, Because we attract women at different stages in business, uh, as part of our training, when we produce new training, for some people, the new training might have been beyond where they were. And for other people, it might be behind where they are, right? And so we 
realized that what we needed to do in addition to, you know, providing new training for folks around different issues that we know that they need support in, we also needed to provide some small group support for them based specifically on where they are in their business. So for example, we put together cohorts uh, for those women who are really just at the startup phase, some of them even just at the conceptual stage, like really, really from the beginning, helping them put it together and put it together right, right? And then we have another group where with those women, they have already started their businesses, but they're not quite, for example, at the six-figure uh, level yet. So our goal for that particular cohort is to get them to the place where they are producing um, recurring revenue in their business up to a level where they are at least, they're tracking to be in a six-figure year. So they're producing at least $8,333 a month in recurring revenue. Okay, that's the goal for that. And then the top level is specifically for those women who have graduated from that mid-tier or who come in making at least $100,000 in their business. Uh, and the goal for us is to get those businesses to seven figures. So we have these three different cohorts. I'm working with that last group. That's what we call that team dominate. Okay, our whole goal is to make sure that they dominate the market in whatever they do, getting it up to that seven-figure seven level. And with those first two groups, team ascension and team accelerate, it's about making sure that they hit these milestones, that they start their businesses off right, and then they get their businesses to a point where they're making consistent recurring revenue that will get them at least that six-figure level. And having those spaces where they can get support, feedback, uh, information that is specific to their level in business, we've really gotten some great feedback and great results from that in terms of being able to sort of break down what we do to meet people where they are. I love that. That's great. That's a really, um, really good example. Do you find that in being more public about why this impact and the transformation in a customer's life is so important to you and your demonstration of that commitment to those results, are the people that you work with then more open to sharing some of that data with you. So if we think about the fact that for you to track this, you actually really need that baseline data yeah. of how much were you earning before you started to work with us. And in a lot of business settings, people, customers are hesitant to tell you these things. I mean, that's very private information. We're not very public with people about how much we earn and what that looks like. Do you find uh, that this gives you more ability to actually track those results and get the information because of the commitment you've shown? Both because of the commitment and because we offer a little bit of a, a carrot related to it, okay? Because we believe also that people respond well to um, being recognized for their hard work. I think a lot of times type A people, which probably a lot of entrepreneurs are, okay, we're, we're a little driven. Okay. We're a little driven and we be honest, right? Uh, we're the type of folks where, you know, you go, you do something, you may do something great and you take like a millisecond to say, okay, that's great. Now let's, what's the next thing? Like we never stop to, you know, recognize and celebrate our accomplishments. And so one of the things that we do that not only recognizes accomplishment, but also encourages people to provide data uh, is that at our client retreat, we people receive awards based on the level of revenue that they've hit in their businesses. But for them to receive the rewards, they have to report <laughs> what they did, right? So uh, we're able to um, oftentimes help people overcome any resistance to sharing by making, you know, by giving them a, a reward, by actually giving uh, some feedback around that, that what they can be, that shows that they can be celebrated for hitting uh, different revenue levels. Uh, and so they know that this is a, it's something that, um, you know, it's the carrot at the end of the stick for them. So it it's also a beautiful a connection back to your piece around wanting to have abundance and it's yeah. modeling to people to get used to the, what can be uncomfortable of having that public recognition of, sitting in that space and saying, I am growing, I am successful, this is working for me. So I think there is an element of modeling abundance in that. Absolutely. Because when, you know, the people who are there and one year and they see someone getting, you know, maybe a $50,000 award, and then the next year they're getting like $500,000, people can see that there is growth there. And they also see that if that person can do it, I can do it too. Yeah. How have you dealt with or, or how has it played out for you when you've been so specific of who you seek to serve, the customers you're looking to work with and that impact you're creating? 
there could be business owners listening and saying, but I have a group I am really passionate about where I feel a desire to make a difference. But if I'm public about that and really niche down into speaking to them, won't I lose all these other customers who could also work with me? What does that look like in your business? And because obviously your work could be incredibly beneficial to anyone in business and also a whole range of different people who have historically been left out of these opportunities. Has that caused you to lose business? Does it put people off? What does that look like in in the way that it happens for you? Well, for me, I think uh, on the one hand, first of all, I just think generally speaking, it's just very smart marketing generally to speak to a niche because you are when you when you speak their language it's kind of like the idea is you're, it's almost like a dog whistle effect when you're using the cultural cues and, and and verbiage that you're specific and speak to the pain points of your specific person it makes it easier for them to see that they're your person right that's one thing but when it comes to this idea of are you alienating others what you will find is that even when you do that, you will. it doesn't mean that you're exclusively serving that group, right? So I have uh, women clients of other races. I have male clients. Uh, they are not the majority, but it does. But they were not turned off from working from me, uh, working with me because of where my messaging was, because of how the majority of the women who I work with look like. Um, so you know, though there may have been people that have had a problem with it, no one said anything to me. Um, and I also kind of believe, um, just in terms of where I've chosen my focus to be at, um, you know, I have a whole history and a whole background of working on issues relating to Black women in particular. So it kind of is my brand. It's definitely consistent with my with my passion. Um, and particularly since I know so well this data around the very particular challenges that Black women face, um, I would say that in aiming my work towards them, I know that I'm putting together that something that is so solid that if it can help this specific demographic that has faced that has faced such huge challenges around this issue, uh, that it is something that ultimately could not only help them, that if others choose to come into this space, which they are not prohibited from doing, then they will definitely benefit too. So, um, you know, it allows me to speak to my particular subgroup in terms of who I'm looking most specifically to help with my work, but it is not at all um, a, a situation where others are turned away. We definitely welcome them in, but they have to know that this is a space that centers Black women. And if we go to the heart of trying to create a business where there is a win-win, where we're not just picking one thing or the other... There's also an element, all of us who have run businesses have been in that situation historically where you get into a position where there's customers you're working with, where there's not really a great alignment and you don't actually really like working with them. And I would argue that by taking this approach, you actually filter that out because people who are going to be a mismatch will just self-select out. They'll just say, there's no way I would ever work with that woman. Great. I don't want you to. (laughs) Bye-bye. So I think there is often when we're making these strategic decisions, though, again, when we put things in boxes or we say, well, now I'm making a decision about the commercial reality of the business and business is about maximization of profit. We also forget that we need to stay energized over potentially many decades as the business owner to want to be doing this work. And if there is a fundamental mismatch with the customers we're working with, it's pretty hard to show up every day and bring your best. That is so true. Because I was just thinking, like, for example, last night I did a training and and I get this kind of high every time I am around my people, my tribe, my clients. You know, it is such good energy that is flowing that, you know, it's work, but it doesn't feel like work. You enjoy it. This is something that I definitely could see myself doing for years and years and years because it is enjoyable. And to me, you know, I had a talk with a client about this today who's really at a very, very conceptual stage about her business. To me, that really needs to be a key factor in whatever business you do. If you should never pick something just because you think that it can produce money, because the bottom line is growing a successful business is hard. It takes a lot of work. And if you don't enjoy what you're doing, you might as well work for somebody else because it's going to end up just feeling like another job that you hate. Yes. <laughs> and a customer can feel that. 
if you're working with someone and you know that this is for them just about you putting some money in their bank account, you feel that as the customer. So that again, all of these pieces, we have to remember how they play out, how their energy works, as you said, that it feeds off each other. And so um, that that piece, I think that taking this approach honours both you as the business owner and it also honours the customer because it shifts out of this interaction where they think they're simply a paycheck to you Mm -hmm. and they realise and see through your behaviour over time that actually – the results they get is what energizes you. They see you show up with that passion. They hear you telling those stories and giving the awards to other people who have made the progress and they get on board in a different way, which actually then again, self-fulfilling prophecy, it helps them be more committed. They will then get better results, which means they will keep coming back to you. What have you found when we drill into something like recurring revenue or people then referring others to you because of your commitment to these results. How has that shaped the growth of your business? Oh my goodness, it's been so powerful. And I have to say, I'm I, I'm always so honored when I find that someone that, that my clients have referred someone to me. And I've found that over the years, it's just grown in terms of proportion of referrals that we get. And uh, I was just uh, the other week away at a retreat. And while I was there, just in terms of my own professional development, and while I was there, I met with one of my clients who was based in that city. And uh, it, it was, she just, you know, just volunteered, you know, I definitely, you are my person. I will be working with you for the next three, four, five years. And, you know, it just really makes you feel so validated that you are doing what you are put here on this earth to do. When you get that highest honor of people saying, listen, you are my person. I'm going to work with you over and over again. And, and, or uh, I am going to refer others to you because I am so happy with the experience that I'm receiving right now. To me, that is as a service-based business, to me, that is the biggest compliment that you can absolutely get. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's, um, it's an exciting thing. And as you said, even if someone then gets to a point where they've achieved those results and not coming back to you because of the way that that played out for them, they will talk to others, which is the best way to to grow and have that confidence in, in the business moving forward. Are there any other aspects, say, for example, when you think about the types of relationships you have with people or ways that you use language? You said before, some of the helpful aspects of being so clear on who you're wanting to see these transformations for allows you to use the right language in terms of your value proposition and, and what you're doing. If you Can you drill into some of those practicalities of, of how these areas of the vision you have for the good you're doing in the world and the ways you make money, just maybe tell us some some stories or give some examples of what that looks like in the decisions you're making as a business owner to speak into that space. Yeah. So it's really about leaning into the shared culture and speaking in the language that is reflective of that or sharing experiences that are reflective of that. And for me, that shows up in several different ways. It shows up uh, in literally the copy, like what, what I say when I write or what I say when I go live, the slang that I use, the abbreviations that I use, that is that those unspoken um, cultural cues that those who are in the culture instantly know it. And they and it also instantly shows that you are part of that culture, that you embrace that culture, that you're proud of that culture. Uh, also, in terms of the ongoing work that we do together, I can speak to specific issues that I know more than likely they are facing in terms of imposter syndrome and all these thoughts and challenges that they are facing in spaces that are not very reflective of them. I can really speak to what they are going through because I understand it and I can help them navigate um, beyond that, understand how to overcome it. Um, I think also just creating an environment where there are, it's a space where everyone is looking to honestly, not only achieve abundance, but is a reflection of excellence all the time. It's, I had one of my clients tell me the other day, I feel like this is an HBCU experience, which, you know, in America, those are historically black colleges and universities. And 
which I am also a graduate of one of those. And so it's, uh, it, it's a very special culture that celebrates Blackness and celebrates Black excellence, right? And to me, to, for her to tell me that she feels like what we've created, the culture that we've created in our community is very much like that, once again, was a huge uh, compliment. But it, once, it shows that what we are doing is we are creating a space where she feels safe. We are cre creating a space where she feels affirmed. We are creating a space where she feels challenged. Uh, we're creating a space where she feels a reflection of excellence all around her. And so that's uh, and, and it's it's like an oasis because in a in a nation where uh, the overarching culture might be sending very different messages to her on a day to day basis, being able to come into a space that affirms her, that celebrates her, uh, that shows her that no matter what anyone else out there says, yes, you can. And here's how. That is very, very motivating, and it becomes uh, just sort of like upward momentum when each and every person is feeling that and cheering each other on all along the way. It's a lovely reminder, too, of how important it is to be intentional, because I think when I look at so many businesses, particularly small and medium-sized businesses around the world, often they are actually doing a lot of that stuff and creating these impacts just intuitively because it's who they are, but they haven't really focused and made it intentional. And when you do that, I think you see a massive ramping up of the effects of it. Because as you said, just by stopping for a moment and saying, oh, I've, I've written a draft of what this copy is going to be, but I was really in a very professional mode and I was you know, not writing it how I would say it. And again, this isn't about pretending to be something you're not, but it's coming back to the intentional piece of, oh, no, I can be me. I can show up as who I am and speak to the, the people that I work with as a fellow traveler on that, that journey. The intentional aspect that just drills into the way we run the business, these components more consistently is actually really important. And I, I think that should be an encouragement to a lot of business owners because quite often there's already all these things you're doing and it's just about sitting down and taking the time to really pull out and bring to the surface, what do you care about? What do you want to be part of creating in the world and who do you want to be working with to create those results? So I love that you have taken such an intentional journey to really bring those commitments into all of the aspects of how you're, you're running the business. And I'm curious about one thing, Dr. Avis. Yes. <laughs> when we speak about abundance and, and we talk about some of these tendencies historically to actually not have had those things modelled to us or to have been in scarcity previously, was there an element for you in your business journey as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, where you actually still were having to fight some of those battles of scarcity, of the discomfort to charge what you're worth? And what allowed you to make a transition into what you now model in terms of living that abundance yourself and setting a, an example for the customers that you work with? Great question. And uh, absolutely, the answer to that question is yes, there was a time. <laughs> and I, I think it really starts uh, when you first have your first customers and you see their reaction to what they've been exposed to. When you, I think the confidence of seeing success and what you're producing gives you confidence to charge more. At least it did for me when I was first starting. Uh, and also uh, seeing how much work it was <laughs> to do what you need to do to get people the results. Then you're like, okay, well, really, I really undercharged myself. I think sometimes we have to learn the hard way like that. Uh, we charge really low and then we put in the work and then we really like do the math in terms of how long, how many hours we put in and what we charge. And we're like, are you crazy? You would have been I better should work off at McDonald's. McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Great minds think alike. Yes. You know, so you only have to make that mistake once, at least in my mind, and for, before you say, okay, let me go ahead and charge appropriately because I'm putting in a lot of work. People are getting great results. Let's make sure that this thing makes sense. What's the broader vision for you? So you've shared publicly now this aspect of really committing to and working towards a million black women millionaires, which I love. What 
does your business look like when that happens? What what are the, what's the the growth and and exciting aspect for your business itself as that plays out? That's a very good question because really the reality is I have focused so much on that vision. I hadn't really thought about what my business would look like as a result. But if I were to sit here and think about that, to me that means like that I would be able to the the business would be able to grow to uh, impact the lives and change the lives of more people who would be working within my business. I mean, one of the things that I've found especially fulfilling as the business has grown is to be able to grow with the help of a team and to see their growth and to see that their uh, their success in terms of their economic well-being grow. And it's, you know, one of the most fulfilling moments for me was about a year ago when one of my employees went on vacation and she sent me this super kind note just saying, Wow, I worked so hard for so many years prior to work with me. She had her own, she had her own business. She was a hairdresser and she was like, I worked on my feet for all those years. And I never was able to take a vacation like this because I needed to be in the salon. Like I needed to make the money. And I just want to thank you for providing an opportunity for me to be able to uh, make a really good living. Like she's doing better now, really honestly, working for me than she did within her own business. Uh, and still be able to spend this time with my family. And so I had never even, it, it that little note um, really showed for me, I, I was very proud of being able to have a team and make an impact with them like that, but I didn't know about that aspect of her history and that this was the first time she's that she's been able to do that, a mother of three, you know. So... I was just thinking that if my business were to grow, to hit that goal, that I can have more stories like that. And I can have more opportunities to touch the lives and change the lives of not only the people that we're touching externally to the business, but also those people who are working in the business. Yeah. And I think that's a beautiful connection to the fact that we can make such an impact and be doing good in the business in multiple different ways. And so while for a business like yours, the primary focus might be this passion and commitment around a customer focus and the impact that's being created there, as you've pointed out, the reality is we are also having an impact on our team and the culture we create there, the environment, the way that we are conscious of our team's well-being has, again, the win-win of it means that they are committed to our organization and serve our customers better and it feeds into that desire that we're working towards. But it also gives that beautiful satisfaction of feeling proud about the impacts that you're having with the team as well, which is a a really lovely and important uh, part of what we do. Absolutely. The other thing that comes to mind for me when I think about the scaling that's going to have to happen in your business as you achieve the the broader vision on the doing good side is that because of the way you've set up the business, because you haven't gone into that either or mindset of thinking, I'm doing good here, I'm running a charity, you've built a business that charges appropriately for the services it's delivering, that is creating this beautiful self-reinforcing loop between the customer's results and your results it means that you can actually have confidence to scale that business. Exactly. Because so often when I see, and for the last 20 years, I've heavily been in that space of working with people who have come at this from the social side and are trying to figure out the commercial way to make the business sustainable. And the problem that you have when you do that is what you've built is not sustainable. It relies on donations or grants or people thinking you're doing good things. And when they lose interest or move on to the next thing, you can no longer deliver your services. So if we go back to that idea of Rattel's notion with wicked problems and that we have no right to be wrong if we're making these raising expectations with people and we don't actually have a business model that can deliver on that, that's actually not a great way to to behave. But the piece that gives me confidence in your desire to achieve this impact is that you've built a business that is going to actually be able to grow with that vision, which is not a small thing. So, you know, congratulations on the Thank <laughs> that, <you. laughs> taking that approach. Yeah. Thank you. It's, it's, it's just been very satisfying because I, 
am one who respects the fact that it is a significant investment to work with us. I understand that. Uh, and I know it's scary. And for a lot of people that we work with, this is the biggest investment that they've made in business at that point. And so I find that I take a great deal of responsibility with the trust um, that they have endeared with me and my team. Uh, and so that's why we just really want to leave no stone unturned in terms of providing them the support, the accountability, um, the training uh, that they need in order to have the best chance of success uh, because you know this is their shot and we want to make sure that they make the most out of it. Yeah. And in some ways, the significance of the commitment they're making, particularly the financial piece, but it's also a time commitment to actually oh, do this stuff well, mm-hmm. is part of what will make them successful because having skin in the game, being willing to take calculated risks and know that you have to now show up is going to be part of the drivers of whether they're successful as a business owner or not. So it's it's aligned to that. And certainly, I'm sure you've had this same experience in your previous work, but I have run many programs where they're either free or there's scholarships or different things and then trapped the difference between someone who had actually really hurt them to pay for that, but they are committed, they do the work, they're there, they show up and they're thankful for the results. And then someone who has just been um, given the opportunity and you thought you were being helpful, but in fact, they actually then don't get the same results. So there's a lot of uh, research, both actual research and then from life experience that says you're not actually helping someone if you make it too easy. I completely agree with that. That's a thousand percent true. I've seen it over and over as well and not even seen it over and over. I've seen it in my own life, (laughs) you know, like early on in my journey when I was doing, I was one of the people doing the $500 courses that never got open in my email, you know, (laughs) that I've wasted money like that over and over again. And this is another reason why, uh, for me, it's another reason why I do focus at a much higher level of commitment because I, I, I just know from personal experience and from seeing it among others that it is that skin in the game that protects against uh, the sort of ignoring the situation and never paying attention to it. When you know that you have committed to making a significant um, investment to be here, then you are going to make sure that you are there to receive the training. You're going to make sure that you are there to implement because you're excited about seeing the return come. And when you see other people around you getting returns, now it gets to be exciting. Okay, like she got hers. Let me see how much I can get. And it's almost like a gamification of it, right? And so that to me is um, is very exciting in practice. And at the end of the day, even though it's scary to make that step, it's really the best route, I think, to ultimately give people the best chance at actually putting in the work that needs to happen in order to see the results that they want. Yeah, absolutely. What would you say to a business owner who is listening to this, who has an established business, it's running well, you know, they're successful by all outward measures, but their brain is now kind of ticking on, oh, you know, how would I play this out in my business? What would it look like to actually not see doing good as external, but bringing it back into the business? What would you say to them? Where should they start? How would you encourage them to think about this? I would say first think about how can you um, make sure that your employees have a way of seeing benefits in some way that are directly related to how they show up in the business, what sort of results that they help our, your clients receive, or you know how good they are at doing their job. I think oftentimes we only think about one level, base level of compensation, but how can you create opportunities that incentivize them maximizing their uh, greatness in what they do so that they are performing at top levels and they get compensated for it as institutionalized in terms of how they are compensated. And then that sort of trickles down to your clients then getting better results because of the extra effort and the great work that your uh, employees are putting in. Um, How can you find out what your employees really want? Maybe for others, it's about, okay, I want to have more flex time or more vacation time. You know, how can you sort of listen to them uh, and allow them to have that space to be with their family? So to me, it's about being creative around creating compensation structures, as well as other ability for your 
for your team to feel like this is a place where they can really grow and thrive and want to be over the long haul, as well as want to be as effective in their role as possible. And what's the best way for someone, if they want to reach out to you or learn more about your work, where should they go? Well, they can go to my website at dravismentoring.com or follow me on Instagram at the same space, dravismentoring, no.com. <laughs> <laughs> and are there any bits that I've missed? Are there any things that you really are feeling passionate about at the moment that, that you'd want to share with other business leaders? No, I, I just want to say that, you know, to me, this concept of building a business that makes a positive impact on the world, to me, it, it is really what it's all about. I, I think about my father's business and the uh, the impacts that he made that I didn't find out about until I was until almost the end of his life and in terms of some of the most amazing impacts that his business made. Uh, and, you know, I feel especially proud now that I feel like in my own way, I'm living up to that legacy. So do not miss the opportunity to have your business be something that can make an indelible impact on the world that will be here long after you're gone. Such a great reminder because all of our businesses are having an impact. It's just, are we actually conscious of what it is? And is it an impact that we could feel proud of? Yes. An important reminder. We're such a big driver of the economy. We're having all of these ripple effects into people's families and lives and stress levels. And all of those pieces are happening as a result of our businesses. And so being more conscious of that and intentionally connecting it to what we care about and to being aligned with our personal values is such an important shift for business owners to make. Thank you so much, Dr. Avis. Really appreciate your time. And, uh, We'll be watching with interest and we'll be cheering you on as, as you work towards that, that goal of a million black women millionaires. An exciting journey to be watching with you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for taking the time to listen to both success and integrity with Bessie Graham. If you found what I shared today valuable, or you think that it would be good for a fellow business leader to listen to, then please share the episode with someone you know. Another way to help the podcast is to provide a rating and written review on your podcast app of choice. The written review is important because it helps others learn more about what we're trying to achieve. If you'd like to get in touch, please reach out to me at any time on LinkedIn, YouTube or Instagram just by searching Bessie Graham. Or you can go to BessieGraham.com. I'm Bessie Graham, and remember, you don't have to choose between experiencing success or having integrity in your life.